You're listening to the ACL Podcast. My name is Michael Williams. This week, my guests are Huckberry co-founders, Andy Forch and Richard Greiner, and we talk about how Huckberry started as a little company in San Francisco and how it's become a, a bigger company, uh, a well-respected company, and a, a great brand that blends editorial and e-commerce in such an authentic way. Uh, and they tell captivating stories around real makers and, and truly unique things that sort of weren't being celebrated in a lot of other places. And so I'm excited to share our conversation. Andy and Rich are, are really interesting and great guys, and uh, I hope everyone enjoys it. Okay, uh, this is it. It's we're we're live on the air. This is broadcasting to millions of people. All right, awesome. Potentially, that's the, that's the big asterisk. Yes, we will, <laughs> we could reach millions of people, but probably it's my mom and a few a few other people that accidentally click play on Spotify. Rest assured, both of our moms will be listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, so wait, the one thing that. Uh, you know, I want to introduce you, Rich and Andy, and you guys are the founders of Huckberry. And I'll, I'll, the, we've already experienced, you know, I've already done a very eloquent, terrible voiceover lead in at this point. So don't worry, everyone will know like what's going on. But it would be good if you guys could identify yourself so then everyone can match up, you yeah. know, who's speaking. And so yep. maybe, maybe Andy, you'll go first. Yep. So uh, I'm Andy Forsh. I'm the uh, co founder and co CEO of Huckberry, and I do not have the radio voice. Uh, that'd be Richard, who I'll hand the mic to. Uh, yeah, I'm Richard Greiner, um, co-founder as well. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also from Cleveland, Ohio, as you, as you know, Michael. So uh, wonderful place, which yes. it's, you know, it's interesting. You meet so many people. Everyone says this to me. I know so many people from Cleveland, you know, everyone that there's so many people that sort of move and, you know, scatter all about the country. And everyone says, like, I know a million people from Cleveland. And I always think, well, it's probably because everyone's getting out of there. Um, but it's <laughs> but it's really like it's a good place to be from, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I love Cleveland. Um, we'll see. I, I, I may go back someday, um, but uh, certainly great people. And, and they, they do like to go check out the world. That's yeah. for sure. Um, do you how did you guys come to the agreement on co-CEO? Um, yeah, was that, was that awkward? The interesting thing, like we have very similar backgrounds. Like we're, yeah. we're, we're, we both came up like through the professional world. We were, we were um, bankers, investment bankers in finance. Um, so you'd think two finance bros, you know, you, you, you would, uh, you, you'd have very similar skill sets. Uh, but, but, but fortunately like we're, we're, we're complimentary. Um, so Andy's a lot, Andy's driving the creative and the brand and marketing. Um, and then I'm sort of naturally gravitating towards the, the business, growth, scaling, operation stuff. Um, so it, it oddly happened very seamlessly. And, and I think like as a, as a, uh, um, as a, uh, a, a, a point of view for someone that's going to start a business with a co-founder, uh, definitely find someone that's complimentary. And, and, and you're not duplicative of your skills because uh, there's so many battles to fight where you need to have someone who's, who's strong on, on, on a couple of different areas. So it, it worked out really well. Yeah. And you know, it's the funniest thing. I don't know if we've ever actually had a formal conversation saying, are we co-CEO or not? I think one day it just kind of like appeared 
I think one of our employees probably like put in our signature at some point. Yeah. <laughs> like our greatest pride is being co-founders, right? Co-founders or like executive, you know, our CEO. Um, so I literally think the story is someone just put in our bio one day and we're just like, okay, cool. I guess we're co-founder and co-CEO. So that's the, uh, the honest truth there. I think the thing about title sometimes is it's nice. It's, I understand why titles exist, but sometimes it's nice to not have a title and just think like, and that's, you know, in every business I've been involved with and they're always small and, and, you know, I, I think mildly successful is I think a good way to describe it. But, um, I always thought like, I'm like the janitor and like, I, yeah. I signed the check, yeah. you know, and so like, I'm willing to sort of do whatever. I don't want to be constrained by title. And I think sometimes it just adds a layer of stress to people where, you know, I think like maybe it's, it's, I don't know, maybe it's like more symbolic sometimes than it is like actually, you know, functional in, mm-hmm. for, for a career. Yeah. I don't know, maybe people disagree with that, but, um, you know, I thought for sure you guys were going to have Matthew McConaughey sitting here with you. Yeah, yeah. he's coming over for beers later. <laughs> oh, that's good. You guys are in Texas now. So, you know, I think that's in, you know, you guys have to, you know, get some locals to show you around, right? Yeah. Well, you, you know, it's amazing, Michael, is that the, uh, the network here in Texas is incredible. You know, the, certainly the Huckberry Network that we have here, uh, Jamestown Revival. I think, you know, those guys, mm-hmm. they're here. Um, uh, there's the artist Tyler, Tyler Gwynn, who we work with, who's here. Uh, we obviously have Howler Brothers. Um, I'm sure you've run across them. You know, you, you really have one of the, you know, you're one of the OGs in menswear. And I think on that Mount Rushmore, you have Stag. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you're going to Stag out here. They, they do mm-hmm. a phenomenal job. Um, so the ecosystem in Austin is, is phenomenal. And, and it's one of those things where, like, we landed here in December. And it was mm-hmm. like on day one, I felt like we even had a more robust social life than we did in SF. And obviously it's the coronavirus. So kind of a weird, you know, kind of soft, soft, socially distanced kind of landing there. But uh, Austin has just, you know, so far so good. I mean, just w- what a great town. Yeah, that's cool. Austin's a lot of fun. Um, so you guys sort of happened to, you know, I think it worked out for you that you had complementary skill sets, right? But I want to go back to the beginning because I'm really fascinated by your 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 origin story or the founder story or just how, how this all came together. And I think uh, maybe maybe this is wrong, but it seems like things really worked out where you guys took a chance on this thing and a lot of stuff like a lot of stuff went your way, um, you know, c- combined with a lot of hard work and, and good and a good idea. But, you know, I think w- looking back at sort of the origin now for both of you, whoever wants yeah. to sort of grab this, but um when you look back at it, is it does it feel like, yeah, we we were benefited from a lot of luck, um, mm-hmm. but also like you know we were you know we were way ahead of everyone with seeing how editorial was going to come around or what do you think about just like go back in, into that headspace of founding Huckberry in two thousand ten? Yeah, so so one thing I'd love to kind of tee Richard up for this, and we I don't think we've talked about this in a long time. But the first time I met Richard, uh, it was at a buddy who's a great white shark photographer. He was in San Francisco and we were both, um, we show up to this party and we're the only two people wearing suits. And we literally had the lady in the tramp moment, except replace the pasta with the beer. You know, we literally kind of reached for the, the first beer. Uh, and that's where Richard and I met. And so I challenge you to take the story from there. Yes, Skyler, the great white shark photographer. Yeah, more of an excuse to go uh, to exotic locations and party and, and do some diving. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's a perfect spot. That that that's when we both first time we met. Um, that was two thousand and eight. So we we both had had uh, been working in New York City. We took lateral moves with our companies out to San Francisco, and I think I, I got there in March. You were a little later, and um, you know San Francisco was just a, like a, coming from New York City was a cool town. It was very active. Um, you know, people, you know, young professionals are working hard, playing hard. And then on the weekends, you're getting out and you're you know, going to the mountains, you're surfing, you're skiing. And so just a really active, fun town. And, um, and I think that's that's really like, that's like the type of guys that we were. Um, so we became buddies right away. And we were skiing all the time and, um, you know, um, hanging out and that kind of thing. And and uh, we would always rap about ideas. And, you know, I think that just like you rap with your like anybody and you're like, Oh, wouldn't that be cool if we do this or that? And, and Huckberry was one of those snowballs that just kept on building and building and building. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, the, the, the premise was really just scratching our own itch. So, uh, two young guys, professionals live in the city, want to live a good life, be well-dressed have a nice apartment. Uh, but then also, you know, like to get out there on the weekend and, mm-hmm. and adventure and hang out on the outside and, uh, outdoors and be active. Um, and at that point in time, nobody was really speaking to us. Uh, on the outdoor side, it was all about performance and technical and like really in your face kind of, um, yeah, performance focused and, and not very approachable and, and also not very, um, like you didn't look good when you were doing it mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, uh, and then on the other side, on the, on the more fashion style side, um, it, it, it felt a little unapproachable for, for guys like us where, you know, we didn't care about a $10,000 suit or this watch or that. And, um, but you wanted to look good and be well presented. And, and so it was really about that, that guy who was in the middle of all those things. Um, and so that was, that was the impetus of it and just kind of serving ourselves. Um, 2011. Yeah. Well, so we quit our jobs in September of 2010 and then we each put in 10 grand to, to, to get off the ground of our, of our personal savings started out of our apartments uh, I had a good buddy actually from Cleveland, um, who's, uh, who I grew up with. His younger brother was at UC Berkeley for a computer science degree. And we said, Hey, Jimmy, why don't you come code up the first Huckberry website? Uh, and this was really before Shopify was even yeah. there. So this was like, okay, you gotta, gotta go, gotta go build the whole freaking thing yourself. Uh, so we recruited him and, um, and just sort of, you know, started hitting the trade show circuits, started designing the site and, 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 uh, some of them like, kind of the positioning around it. Um, and then in April of 2011, we launched Huckberry to the public. And what so, was on, the, what was on the site when you first launched it? Like, do you remember like the brand oh, list at that point? Uh, I, I can probably recall every brand. I think it was, it was definitely two brands. It was, we launched on the first day of my bachelor party, which you, you can imagine what that was like, kind of waking up, rolling Ideal. over uh launching the site you know we both could barely uh see you know from from kind of all the drinking from the night before and uh yeah it was april 7th right Mm -hmm. it was april 7th and we had fly low it was ski gear company come to find out when you start starting a retail company and you have no audience it's kind of the chicken or the egg so you're selling ski gear out of season in april and um there's another company outdoor tech outdoor tech yeah outdoor tech And, and those were definitely the two we may have had more and I mean, Michael, the funny thing is you made the joke of, um, you know, like your mom's listening to this, right? Like, you know, those early days, it was like, literally it was our parents and 
you know, we went out to those early brands and, you know, Rich, Rich would go to a trade show and I would go to a trade show and we'd have business cards that we designed in Photoshop because we had Photoshop for dummies to actually create it. And, um, and, you know, kind of get laughed out of these trade shows. And, and, you know, I would laugh at myself. I mean, like looking back on it, it was absolutely hilarious, right? What we were trying to do. And, um, and we, we literally go to all these brands and we'd say, you know, we really want to focus on storytelling and we're, you know, building up this uh, email uh, mailing list, right? That was kind mm-hmm. of the thing that we sold with. And I said, um, you know, our plan is to launch with 2000 uh, emails. It's all going to be your target customer. You know, these are guys 25 to 45 who care about, you know, great products, quality gear. And we think no one else out there is really kind of telling the stories of all these Davids who are taking on Goliaths, who, you know, at that time, uh, Kickstarter had just started. You had Indiegogo just come online. It's like crazy to think about, you know, there's no, you couldn't scale through social media, social media back then. You had to go through the department stores and pay 250 grand for an end cap at Best Buy or Nordstrom or whatever it was. So we saw this kind of you know, gap in the marketplace and um, just went out there and kind of sold this vision, um, you know, kind of this lifestyle and this vision and, uh, and really kind of focused on the email list and telling stories through that. And, uh, you and know, it's still wait, being... did you, did you have an email list at that point? Like, did you have 2000 people or were you just saying like, no, we're going to get to 2000 people, but we, 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 yeah, we, we said, we're going to get, you know, our hope is to get to 2000. There's sort of that asterisk and, and qualifier on it. And I think we launched with like 1100 or something. I mean, you know, and, and, and we gave it our best shot, right? But we didn't, we didn't get to 2000, but it was enough to kind of land enough of these early brands. And, uh, you know, Dan Abrams of Flylo was the one who kind of set up that. And, and to this day, uh, Rich and I have all the respect and all, all the, uh, you know, all the gratitude for Dan, right? And like those early people who looked at like two 25-year-olds and 26-year-olds and were like, I'm just kind of amused. So I'm just going to, you know, give you some inventory and see what you can do with it. I mean, it's so cool to today to like, you know, with looking at the company now and and kind of what we've built and sort of the audience that we've built and it doesn't happen unless you have entrepreneurs, uh, you know, really giving the next generation a chance. And I think that's one thing Rich and I think about today and kind of how we spend our time. Like, are we setting up, you know, the next Rich and Andy for 24, 25, they have an idea. They have no idea what they're doing. They have no capital. They put, they've maxed out their credit cards. They put all their, kind of money into it. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I was going to say one of the things I wanted to say is you guys, you know, just in, in every conversation I've had with you recently, you guys have just been very open and helpful with me and, um, just with like what I'm doing on a couple different fronts, but it's interesting that, you know, I see the world as a lot of people want to sort of the first instinct is to, to discourage other people from doing things right because either they don't they don't want them to succeed and that you know it, for, to see someone else have success and they yeah, sort of yeah. you know so they downplay every opportunity or sort of try to talk you out of it and i feel like a lot of people are always trying to talk everyone out of doing things you know which is kind of uh sad but it's nice that you guys you know take that stance and and want to help people i think that says a lot about you know, your character and who you guys are, which is, which is cool. Um, so, so at that point, you're like, you have two brands, you have 1100 people, like the day it launched, like, do you remember the first order? I don't want to get like too granular with this, but oh, yeah, 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 definitely. I, I do. Yeah. Um, a buddy of mine, I used to work with Scott Palkowski, little shout out to him. He, uh, he bought a, it was a backcountry uh, backcountry ski jacket basically. And uh, that was, that was order one. 
order two was was my mom, Marianne, and then order three was probably <laughs> Andy's mom. That's funny. Um, but it, it was it was just cool to have like to actually, you know, we worked on it for September to to, to April formally and, and a lot longer um, beyond that informally. But to finally see to see that your baby out in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, was, was a big moment. And and there is the whole chicken and the egg, like how are you going to get new customers if you don't have brands and products? And how are you going to get brands and products if you don't have customers? So a big part of it is that at a certain point, you got to, you got to just go and you got to, mm-hmm. um, you know, to put in a great piece of advice that I was given, uh, you, you always throw out your first pancake. So get cooking. And mm-hmm. that kind of mentality is what it takes to start a business or just, or to start a new initiative or a project or whatever. But um, really, at a, at a certain point, you got you got to put your products out there in the world and, and let the customers vote with their wallet, and then be maniacal about taking their feedback, the customers' yeah. feedback, and iterating and improving and and, and working on it. Um, so yeah, that was just a big moment to be open to the public. And then I think at that point, you have a almost a billboard for other brands to see, like, oh wow, these guys are good at storytelling. And when, when, how, when, how did the storytelling bit start though? Like, you know, say you launched and then, you know, did you, were you guys writing the, like writing emails and, and doing the stories or you're like, we know someone that like we find really interesting and they wrote the stories or how did you guys figure that part out? Yeah. So, I mean, we were literally working out of our apartments, just the two of us, there, there's a, you know, computer programmer who's like maybe 20 years old. <laughs> and um, yeah, we basically taught ourselves Photoshop and kind of basic coding and learned all the email platforms ourselves, and, you know, got scrappy and, and literally wrote every word. And we kind of structured the day so that like, you know, in the morning we do customer service, which obviously when we're starting out is like zero, right? Cause your mom is just texting you like, Hey, you know, I need to return this kind of thing. Um, so we do like customer service in the morning. We do, um, you know, we'd be getting orders delivered to our apartments during the day. And at some point, you know, like at that point you had roommates, right? And you're in this tiny room. And so orders start flowing out, you know, flowing out into the hallways. And, and you know, then you have conversations with your roommates who are quite upset, but, um, you know, fulfillment. And then um, we basically, you know, do kind of sales, you know, business development, reaching out to brands. I would say our hit rate, yeah, I mean, when we, when we launched was like, two out of 10. Mm-hmm. So you have to get really comfortable with just hearing the word no and no, and you know, just, you know, over and over and over. And, uh, are they saying no, to... because they didn't, they didn't think the platform was mature enough or ready or they, because they didn't know you or because you were asking for like special terms or something. I mean, why were they, why were they saying no, just because they, you guys it, weren't it, proven. It was all of the above, but you have to remember in 2010, 2011, when we go to trade shows, there are brands who are saying, I don't believe in e-commerce. I think this is a blip. Um, you know, we're only going, we're only focusing on bricks and mortar. Um, you know, we have no, they didn't, they didn't even have their own websites, right? The North Face, like just take a brand like that. I think at that time was exclusively sold through backcountry. They had no, the northface.com. I don't know if they actually sold product there. So it, it was a combination of all of the above. Like, who are you? I don't believe in e-commerce. Why are you guys talking about telling stories through a newsletter and through a blog? but you're also a retailer. Um, you know, it was just kind of like uncharted territory. And we were just, you know, we were just two young guys who, you know, candidly were just trying to figure it out ourselves. And, um, and I think, you know, many of them had every right to kind of say no, but the ones who did, 
um, you know, we've, we've stayed loyal to and have built some pretty big brands for them. And, um, yeah, that's great. You know, forgotten those days. And the ones that said, no, you've, per- you purposely avoided this whole time just to reinforce that they missed out. <laughs> They're never getting in. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just. I'm sure, there's a, I'm sure there's a couple there, but you, you know, it's 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 funny though. Back to your point about being like a good person or being, uh, you know, like good to other entrepreneurs and stuff like that is uh, we'll work on like especially in the early days we would work on brands for years, years. I mean, like I think Dan was one like like, like traveling. Yeah. yeah, it was like a four year process, you know, and like. Mm-hmm. It, it goes from like the total stiff arm to, okay, let me hear you guys say, oh, wow, that's a pretty cool feature you guys did on, you know, Taylor Stitch or whoever. Like, okay, that's interesting. And so uh, develop that rapport over time, but it is like brand partnerships and, and just partnerships in general, I think is something that we're really strong on. And yeah. you got to take a long view for, for that kind of thinking. I mean, it seems like you guys were looking pretty far ahead um, and and just confident that you could figure it out right along the way, um, because I think you know I see that it makes sense when you you know tell that story and you see how you started, and then for me to think about all right what's the next step like what do you do when you have two brands and just a small email list and you know what how do you keep it moving forward I mean that's the I think that's where people you know it's easy to start something but then how do you just stay in it right especially because you guys had left your job so kind of have everything on the line at that point, right? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we each put in 10 grand, um, you know, we had very, uh, you know, we, we, were, we were young, uh, we had no real living expenses. I think your rent was like 550, you know, mine was like 1500 bucks. And I think we had like like a year, a year of living expenses uh, in the bank. Mm-hmm. And I remember Mark Dwight of Rickshaw Bags, um, yeah, so he's like, it's like, okay, you know, it seems like a cool concept. So like, what are you guys going to do? You know, if it, it, let's just say it doesn't work out. He was being like overly kind and how he worded it. And we were like, oh, you know, I, I think we'll just, we'll probably go back to, I will go to business school or, um, but it, it was such a funny question because up to that point, we'd never considered, it, it was like, it was going okay. There's no big PR launch. There's no big trade show launch. It was going okay. And when he asked that question, I've never once considered it not, working out like i just never even thought about it you know it's just we had tunnel vision like we saw this opportunity in the marketplace uh and and we you know we knew that uh this lifestyle between fashion and outdoors uh, and 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 kind of centered around a big idea that we weren't really building a gear company we were building an inspiration company i mm-hmm. think that was kind of the lens as how we looked at everything we just felt, you know, in our bones and, and we're kind of naive enough and young enough at that point to kind of believe in it. But I, I just remember getting, that was kind of the first time that I, I'd ever had to consider like, wow, what if this doesn't work out? Like, what do I do? Because we, we had so much conviction in the idea. And um, do you, yeah, and, oh, go ahead. Yeah. And uh, I, I, a similar perspective to that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we, we, we never considered that it wouldn't work out, but we were also so worried about because we were bootstrapped and we had never we, we didn't raise any money at that point in time. Um, we were so worried about putting food on the table or paying the bills for the here and now that there was no choice but to keep going and keep trying. And like that was also, it was the push and pull of like, we didn't have any long-term expectations other than we're going to figure it out. And then the the forcing function of you have to learn and iterate and and and, and understand your customer better by just like paying the bills. Mm-hmm. And not having a bunch of money in the bank, 
And so like, I think those are two like dichotomies that play well together. Um, you know, whereas if you had started by raising a bunch of money, um, it would have been all about explosive growth as opposed to more uh, like organic or learned growth, like learning about your customer, learning what works and what doesn't work and, and that kind of thing. So um, did you guys understand like the, the finance piece of it, like raising money and how that would affect sort of the trajectory of the business? Did you understand that going into it or it's something like you more wanted to bootstrap and uh, just run the business in a different way or have more control? I mean, what was the thought process with that? Yeah, it, it, it was uh, sort of all of the above. I, you know, we both obviously had backgrounds in finance. So we understand, we understood that like, you know, if you raise venture capital, you're stepping on a treadmill and someone else is pushing the buttons, right? Uh, so it, it was having that kind of understanding. And then also just knowing there are other paths out there. And I think one, one of the sort of North stars for us who later became an investor for us was um, Jason Freed of uh, 37 Signals. And uh, he was, you know, we re basically devoured all of his kind of bootstrap books about, you know, just like cus customer obsessed, just focus on the customer and don't focus on the board and growth. And uh, that, that kind of became our North Star and sort of our mantra. And, uh, and, and like Rich said, I think it allowed us to, um, one, you know, I honestly don't think we could have raised venture capital at that time. It was just, we just didn't have the backgrounds for it. We didn't have the kind of, you know, retail background. We're total outsiders. We had no retail background. We had no internet background. Um, and like, who would have given us money? And so, um, you know, I don't think the opportunity was sort of, you know, available to us, but we're so lucky that we didn't have it because it allowed us to, to make mistakes and survive. And I think other businesses, and, and quite frankly, we've seen some great businesses over the years, they get ruined by venture capital, they get ruined by growth. Like the concept is there, they just push it too hard, too fast. And, and the businesses just kind of, you know, putter out and die. And I think Rich and I, we're allowed to like keep, we knew, knew there's this like awesome big idea and we keep exploring it and pushing it on our own terms and make mistakes that didn't put us out of business and would kind of carry us on to another day. And um, so in many ways, like yeah, if we had raised venture capital, I'm pretty confident Huckberry would not be here today. Wow, that's interesting. Do you feel, I want to go back to the customer service thing. Um, do you feel like because you're doing, there's this storytelling component of Huckberry people form a different relationship with, uh, with the company because it's, it's there, you're just, you're interacting with it in a different way than, you know, something that's merely transactional, right? So it's like, you're learning about things or you're getting a sense of who the people are. Um, uh, do you think that informs sort of how your customer reacts to things that you do? I mean, does it work back the reverse way? I don't know if I'm phrasing that well. Yeah. Well, well, the, the, what, you know, Rich, I'm interested to hear what you think, but I, I think the the fact that we send out an email three times a week, and it's part gear, and it's part inspiration, and it's part storytelling, and, and the entire bottom third of the email links away from the website, right, um, allows us to kind of figure out like where where the, what the customer wants from us. We get that one to one connection every week, three times a week. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I think for us, like it has allowed us to kind of adapt our storytelling, you know, moving into different formats, making it shorter or longer. And so for us, I think that constant feedback has totally shaped our storytelling because yeah, in the beginning, we just kind of had an idea 
we put it out there and then we just iterated on it based on kind of what the customers were saying on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the content allows you to have a stronger relationship with your customer. And, and I think it starts with a, like a, we are not a transactional type of company. It mm -hmm. just, it just sets that tone. The fact that we lead with content, we lead with storytelling as opposed to discounts or this product or whatever, it's always with storytelling in mind. Mm -hmm. um, that just sets a different tone with the customer right off the bat. And um, it was something that we always believed in. Like when, like jumping way back to the first email we sent with Dan Abrams of Flylo, we had a whole journal post about who Flylo was, what made them cool, why they were special and why you should care about them. And, and so back in the day, we just believed it and just felt like that was how we as consumers wanted to be inspired and shop and explore mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And then as you know, later on 10 years, almost 10 years later, like we, we have, we have numbers to back it up. Right. And, and mm -hmm. we see that people that interact with content are, you know, have, are, are twice as, spend twice as much money with us, two X the lifetime value that uh, customers who, who don't interact with content. Uh, but it was always just in our DNA and our guts of like, hey, we care about this. We think other people care about this. Like storytelling is very sort of innate, innate kind of thing. That's how you ultimately connect with the brand and then the products. Yeah. So it was in our DNA. I think that I think that's interesting. It's 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 sort of more user centric, right? It's it's thinking about the about your customers as people. And, you know, being more willing to say, hey, this is interesting or, you know, go to this other place to look at this thing. We trust you to link out, you know, which is it seems like a lot of a lot of places and a lot of even editorial things. I think, you know, if we to talk about like or to think about blogs and the reason blogs had died at a certain point was the way traffic moves on the Internet and no one is willing to like point anyone anywhere, yeah. you know, and to me like that's, you know, it's like that's that's just the that was the worst part about sort of the last five years where most people weren't willing to uh you know to share anything or just send anyone anywhere um you know and it felt like i was like uninspired at a certain point yeah yeah um i don't know if you guys f feel that way too well it, it, you know michael the, the 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 storytelling in the original days you know rich or myself literally wrote every word on huckberry um and, uh, you know, some things we were proud of, other things we were definitely not proud of. Um, but storytelling in those original days, like I, I thought you did some of the best storytelling on the Internet, like in menswear. I mean, like when you featured Jason McCarthy and Gorak, I mean, you, you literally broke that brand, right? You broke that story. And I think we definitely took inspiration from that and kind of how you approach stories with, you know, a um, you sound like a human being, right? And not some like huge, you know, corporation. Mm -hmm. I remember, um, you know, in menswear at that time, and and obviously you're one, one of the ones who started it, but, you know, you'd have blog roles, right? And, and I remember on your website, on ACL, you'd link out to Secret Forts and All Plat Out, right? And, and mm -hmm. uh, Cold Splinters, right? Like, mm -hmm. and, and man, I, I really wish a lot of these blogs would come back. But, you know, it, it was almost like menswear at that time was just so communal and every it was like a rising tide lists all boats type of mentality and we yeah. thought it was kind of missing any e-commerce and i think you know we were definitely inspired by you and, and all those blogs that we named we just thought that like why why isn't a nordstrom doing this why isn't a j crew doing this why isn't an rei doing this right 
Yeah. Why isn't GQ doing this? And, and we just saw an opportunity there. I mean, I think like when when a brand, right, uh, quote unquote, when a brand can become more personal, you know, they just are going to form a deeper connection with their mm -hmm. their their people, you know, with their customers. And it's like, that's why, you know, what is it about Patagonia that makes everyone love them so much? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and I just hear that so much. Like I love Patagonia. It's my favorite brand, but okay. Tell me why, why do you love it? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think people have a hard time, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's the sustainability or they stand up for themselves or, you know, what, whatever it is, they're different. Um, but I think it's, sometimes it's hard to tell when, um, you know, on its face that something is being more human, but we, we all can sense that. Right. And, and that's why I think, you know, things like the way Huckberry speaks to its audience is it feels like almost like your friend, you know, sending mm -hmm. you something. And that's, that's kind of like the different experience. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think you're right. It was at that moment, it was very communal and everyone was trying to sort of help each other out. And, um, you know, I think like it was, you know, if I'm going to say what ruined it, it was social media, mm -hmm. you know, just, just like the way traffic flowed. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it became like a different game and mm -hmm. uh, not, not, I'm not someone that likes, you know, stands at the, you know, yells at the clouds angrily about social media because <laughs> it's fine. Um, I love reels just as much as the next guy, you know, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's, it's a different world. I mean, at one yeah. point, at, at what point did you guys say, you know, we're in now, this is a very different situation than when you started. Like, did you realize in yeah. five years, you're like, holy, holy crap, this thing is kind of going nuts. What would you say was our first big moment? Or where did you feel like, oh my gosh, this is a real thing? We never had a ton of like huge, huge moments. It's yeah. unfortunately been a slog, <laughs> a, slow, a, slow, a slow slog, but a couple that do jump out, um, uh, the art of manliness, uh, Br mm -hmm. Brett McKay. Yeah. And, um, like that was one where we, um, that was one of the first moments where, uh, Brett did, did a write up about men's sites, I think. And he was saying there's like, you know, Jack threads and mm -hmm. I, I forget now what else, maybe it was guilt or something else. Mm -hmm. or so there's a, a handful of sites because like my favorite is, is Huckberry and, you know, they have great storytelling, unique products and all about quality. And we went from, like Andy was saying before, you know, a couple thousand subscribers to 10,000 subscribers. And, and, and 10,000 was like a number like, oh, crap, we've made it, you know, 10,000 subscribers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we can get that in a day now <laughs> for yeah. reference, but for perspective, I mean, but uh, it was just a huge, huge kind of moment, right, of like a, a person and, and, a, and, a, and a, a blog that, that we really respected um just sort of going out on a limb and he didn't ask for anything for us uh from us for mm -hmm. that and it was just him genuinely saying like hey i think these guys are head and shoulders above what else is out there and here's why uh and, and that was just kind of like a big moment uh, and, and we are still to this day uh great partners and, and, and friends with, with brett you're we just mm -hmm. uh, on the phone with him the other day what's yeah, brett up to him. i'd love to, i'd actually be interested to hear like i remember that site really well and i remember he just always had a very loyal and engaged following yeah. right i just remember anything i ever did with him that was it was always crazy what's he yeah. up to he i think he's on his 475th podcast episode now oh my god and uh he's got a he's got an empire there and he does it on his own terms i, I really love how he, how, how he goes about it and mm -hmm. um you know i think he focuses on content that will be around 
in 10, 20, 30 years, um, as, as opposed to the, the, the more clickbaity stuff. So he's, he's really, I think, stayed true to, 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 you know, himself, his brand and, uh, and, but, but also done a nice job of, of changing with the mediums over, mm-hmm. over time, like, you know, moving on from just written to podcast and, you know, he's working on some other stuff. So, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I think if that. you, if you can maintain, you know, I think the people that were very committed to, you know, I, I think the people that are very committed to what they're doing can maintain that audience. Right. And it's, it's just sort of like coming to them direct. And if you keep doing it and keep evolving to some degree, then it'll, it'll sort of stay there. And it wasn't sort of dependent on, you know, Facebook or whoever to, to flow the traffic mm-hmm. to you and people are yeah, coming 100%. back and there's other sites that are like that, um, that sort of still have that like natural pool of traffic, which is interesting. Um, but, you know, I think about the art of manliness and I just think like that was kind of an interesting moment to like in the world, because there was, you know, it's kind of like when you think about best made and, you know, there's mm-hmm. just like a lot of interest yeah. in, you know, the, the masculine, it was like a, this return to masculinity or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know why that happened, but it was kind of interesting that it did happen. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you guys, at one point you're like, all right, we have like 10,000 people on our list We're we're doing all right. Um, and did you, do you ever like, did you, did you think like we should be more outdoors or we should be more fashion? Or do you think like it, it's sort of the needle move for you in one direction and, it made more sense to be, do you feel like you're more of a fashion company now than an outdoor company? Um, you know, Michael, our, our mission um, is inspire and equip adventures near and far. And, and so the funny thing is we never even really looked at ourselves as an outdoor company. And I think like, you know, even to this day, um, I think the big idea around Huckberry is really around adventure and inspiration. Like we, we get the most jab when people write in and they say, hey, you know, you guys went to Iceland and you published your 72 hour guide. And I went out and literally did the exact same itinerary that you put out there. Right. Like that's kind mm-hmm. of what gets us most jazz. So I think in some ways, um, you know, we, we are kind of lumped into the outdoors and we you know, absolutely love the outdoors. And I, I think, you know, we're fine with that. But like the, the, the kind of the true soul of Huckberry is more around adventure. Um, and I think, you know, I, obviously, you know, we sell apparel and footwear. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and we focus on quality, like, you know, great products, products that will last, you know, generations and, and not just seasons. And um, so at the end of the day, like, yes, we, we absolutely are in sort of the fashion category. We kind of straddle, you know, outdoors and adventure. But, um, you know, for us, I think we kind of look as at products as a way to try to get people outside and tr- try to get people to go on new adventures and try new things, whether it's um, you know, going to, uh, you know, going to Tokyo on, on a culinary tour or whether it's, um, you know, learning to, uh, you know, like gardening, right? Like mm-hmm. you just look at, we touched on gardening this past year as one of our, you know, uh, most clicked on subjects of the entire year. Obviously a lot of that is COVID, but it just shows this mentality of like adventure is always around the corner. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's still a ton of corners left in the world. Mm-hmm. So, um, for us, yeah, I, I mean, the, the short answer is we sell apparel and footwear, but we think of ourselves more as like an adventurous company that's trying to get people out there and, and to get out of their comfort zone a little bit. Do you think, where do you think, you know, online retailers, I mean, it's been pretty tough for 
physical stores, right? And we we talked about Stag at the outset, and you know, I talked to Don recently, and I know that they've been through the ringer with COVID, and you know, I think it, anyone that's really invested in sort of a physical experience um, has struggled, but you know, and it's accelerated a lot of what's happening online. But do you think where do you think it's all headed? It's a big question. I know. Yeah, you might, you, and you might not know. You could say, "Hey, man, I don't know." If I knew, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so the the world sped up five years in a matter of like three months, right? Like from from like you know March 15th for the next 90 days or so, the world basically sped up, you know, five years. Mm -hmm. So all, all the trends that were happening. Um, just cranked in the after after gear. So sort of a, a move away from the, the soulless department store, right? A move, a move towards more niche online brands. Um, so I, I certainly think that um, this is like online and e-commerce is going to be a, a like is not going backwards by any means. Um, but I do think coming out of this, there's going to be a um, uh, a a need for you know analog, whether that be you know, going into a store or getting together in, in bigger groups or mm -hmm. events or gatherings, right? And so I think there is something on the other side of this that will be very in-person based mm -hmm. and, and and that will be a long theme. I'm just like, you know, the roaring 20s kind of thing. Um, like that, that will absolutely, there's just so much pent up. Um, you do you know. think that's going to happen? Or do you think everyone's going to be like, you know, I spent a year around all my stuff. I don't need... I don't like need to go crazy because I'm, I don't know the answer to that either, but I've had both of those thoughts. Mm -hmm. I think on the experience side, people, yes, people will go crazy. Yeah. May, may, maybe less so on the, on the, on the, on the, you know, the, the, the product side, but I think people are yearning to get back to social interaction and gatherings and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I think it, yeah, on the other side of it and you know, we're large, we're getting pretty close. It feels like, um, we, um, I think physical retail will always serve a place, yeah. but it may be more around events and activities and stuff like that. And so it's more of like a, you know, for what, for when we've done pop-ups in the past, it's been around, um, you know, we want to be the base camp for inspiration. Like that's how we think about our stores. Like it's mm -hmm. a community place, it's a gathering place what we do events and and it's a way to meet people and, you know, touch and feel products and all those things. But it was less around the numbers of retail mm -hmm. and more around, yeah, sort of a base camp for inspiration. Like how I think that would be really true on the other side of all this. Like how you can activate a space versus like what the, you know, revenue per square foot is or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I, and I went in what, you know, I was in your store sort of not too long before the pop up that was in New yeah. York. Um, and it was in just a really cool space. And I felt like it was a nice translation of what Huckberry felt like on the internet, you know, in, in a place, which is cool. And, um, you know, I mean, talk about storytelling. It's like nothing can sort of do that like a physical store. Right. Yeah. It, it, it was, uh, you know, the fun thing with that store, Michael was, um, and it's so funny because we totally paused, you know, we, we did, we had retail ambition. We're going to do three stores a year. And we basically tested this pop-up and um, it, it was maybe a little more experiential than a normal Huckberry store would be, but we basically curated seven adventures. We had seven walls in the store 
uh, each one kind of had like the gear list, you know, that we recommended. And, you know, we we're on the corner of Bleecker and Perry in the West Village. I think one of the, I mean, man, love the West Village. Cannot wait to go back there. And I think the West Village will come back at some point. I know it's kind of pretty bleak now, but at some point it will be back. And, um, you know, we, we did things like walking the footsteps of Jack Kerouac, right? Going, starting at the White Horse Tavern, sit in this stool. This is where he got in a bar fight, order this drink kind of thing. <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, kind of put together this, this fun concept. I, I think retail, retail will absolutely come back. It's going to come back in a different form. Like the tide went out really quickly. Uh, and, and it, but, you know, went out too far and it's going to come back. It's not going to come back maybe to 100% for every industry. You know, I think it's going to vary. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been thinking personally about like, you know, going back to the Spanish flu of 1918. And then on the other side of it, you have the roaring 20s, right? And so is there a roaring 20s on the other side of this? And I would argue that the one thing that's made, you know, COVID in this era different is that I think technology has changed our habits in a way that it, it couldn't have done in the Spanish flu of 1918, right? Mm-hmm. Like you had to go back into the office because you didn't have Zoom, right? If you think about that effect on retail, well, I, I think naturally, you know, people, you know, were kind of wearing less suits through the office before. Now I just think you have less people who they spent a year working from home, right? And, and now you have fewer people are gonna be going back into the office, right? And so you just look at all that technology and fitness and now people have Peloton and Tonal, Whereas, in, you know, in 1918, they didn't, and maybe they didn't even go to the gym, you know, like, like, like back then, maybe that wasn't even a thing. But um, I, I just think the, the roaring 20s will maybe be a little more muted because of technology this go around. And I think as it relates to retail, I think um, if you look at what happened uh, uh, with SARS in Asia in the early 2000s and how that really spiked their online as a percent of overall retail sales, and then once they got it under control, it definitely came back down and people went back into the stores, but not like they did before and not mm-hmm. exactly for the same reason. So uh, it definitely makes us think a little bit different about retail going forward. We're, we are absolutely rooting for brick and mortar retailers, even though we don't have any you know, exposure mm-hmm. there, just because we love, we love great experiences. We love great retail. We love great storytelling. And um, you know, we, we think and, and we hope that you know, New York City is going to come rowing back and San Francisco is going to become growing back. And I think to your point, Michael, like hopefully um, in a more um, conscious, sustainable way, right? Mm-hmm. You, you're, you've been confronted with all the things you've owned in your house over the past year and you're investing in better things, but less things. And yeah. hopefully these new retail experiences will kind of cater to that. Yeah. You know, I think that's the other thing on the other side of this is like, there's a huge sustainability question that we're all, you know, we all should have been confronted with at this point. Right. And if you're not thinking about that now and if brands aren't, I think that's, you know, that's pretty troubling because it's going to be a huge problem. You know, it already is a huge problem and it's going to only be worse. Right. Um, you know, I, someone asked me, this is, we'll switch gears a little bit, but someone asked me, I don't think I'm the best person to, to sort of talk about this, but a reader was asking me about hustle culture and I'm, I'm always sort of like, you know, poo pooing and Gary V, but I don't have anything against Gary V, but like the whole, like, I don't know the the idea that like you can just work your way into anything to me sometimes seems like bad advice for people. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like if you have a take on, you know, the hustle culture phenomenon. Yeah. It's kind of, that's, I, I, I'm put the, it's a good question. It's it's a great question. Oh, a quick preamble about it. Um, I'd rather have um, a hustle culture than a 
the world will give you something culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, from that very, uh, from that perspective, I, I appreciate it. Um, but um, um, yeah, it, it gets a little, it gets a little. Um, okay, don't, I, yeah, I don't want to cut you off. I, I don't think like you can be only focused on hustle. Like yeah. to me, like the thing that makes me, and and look, I could be totally wrong in this, but I think like the thing that makes me a good father and a good, mm-hmm. uh, you know, w- worker, I don't know, I don't, what an employee, I don't know how to describe myself, but, you know, successful at work or functional is the time that I spend thinking and doing mm-hmm. other things. And, you know, it's like, if I, if I do something to work on my head, headspace, right? Like to me, that's an investment in what I'm doing in the other aspects of my life that are actually important, you know? And, and I think sometimes like hustle culture is like, wake up and be filling the universe with like social media and content. And like the idea of like content in general is offensive to me because like content is just a thing to fill a vessel. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, we don't need that. (laughs) That's unneeded. Um, so I think like sometimes like I, I agree with you, Rich. I think like it's bad when everything's expected. But, um, you know, I think the idea that you can like just, you know, that you can you can just throw enthusiasm at something is just going to be enough. And that's all you need, you know, yeah. in, in the age of like, I don't know. I don't know if you saw that fake famous documentary that Nick Bilton did, um, but it kind of makes me think about this where they basically like sort of bought fake followers and and fake engagement for these wannabe influencers and then they became influencers and it like <laughs> and it worked you know and to me yeah. it was like it was pretty cringy but um you, you know michael on on the hustle side um i, I agree like when, when we were younger we absolutely hustled like crazy and i think a lot of it is a function of like where are you in life uh what stakes you know do you have and for us we were all in right um, what sort of like time frame uh, and time horizon are you optimizing for? What does success look like to you? You know, and, and so I think for us, like uh, in the in, in the early days, we absolutely hustled. It was completely unsustainable. You know, I, I love that Buddhist saying, like you cannot pour from an empty cup, right? And I think that works personally, works professionally. And right now, where we are in life, like we absolutely need balance. And, and I think you know. Huckberry's on its 10 year, you know, 10 year anniversary and we, we reach, you know, a really, you know, decent size and scale. And I think a lot of it is from just consistency and showing up every single day. And a lot of that, once you get to a certain point in your life, uh, performing well in the office is a function of how much you slept the night before, how much you drank the night before. Mm-hmm. Have you called a friend recently? Did you get some exercise? Right. And so I, I do agree that like, you know, anyone who has a stick on social media um, is going to, is going to push it. And, and, you know, I think Gary V is probably talking to like a, a 21, like 21 year old Gary V and maybe not the 45 year old Gary V. So yeah. I think it kind of changes with where you are in your life and, and what you're trying to do and how long you're trying to do it for. I mean, that guy is like incredible in the sense that he can just pump out so much stuff all the time. You know, I remember, mm-hmm. I remember him talking about wine doing yeah, his wine yeah. videos, wine library stuff. And I followed that stuff like way back when. And I'm like, this guy's nuts. But he like would just keep doing it, you know, mm-hmm. he like never stopped. And the fact that, you know, I saw the other day, like American Eagle has like named 
his agency is like the agency of record thinking about like digital going forward and because of COVID. And, and it just made me think like this guy is like built something pretty real yeah, and it's, yeah. you know, I don't understand it. I just, I don't, you know, which is, which is kind of cool. Uh, so that, Michael, I have a question for you. Yeah. Are, are you on TikTok? No, you know, someone has my name on TikTok, not my, my Michael <laughs> Williams is so common. It's, you know, I've been lucky to get that on Instagram and wherever, but um no, someone has like a continuous lean on TikTok. And I took that as a sign that I shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. you know? So I just mm -hmm. never looked. No, someone took uh, ACL on, on TikTok. Yeah, like a continuous lean. I, wow. I I don't really have ACL on any. It's funny, I, I, I had the like MW at MW on Twitter and I changed it. Like, cause I was on Twitter very early, but then I changed it. And now I'm like a fool for leaving it. Um, yeah. But no, I don't understand TikTok. And, and I feel like it's just, you know, one of the many apps that will be spying on me on my phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's for sure. That's for sure. But it, it is interesting just to see like, like the, the kids that are part of hustle culture and are all over TikTok and are all over, you know, Snapchat and that kind of thing. Like that will be us in 20 years. Right. So like the, 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 there's a sense of like the world is changing and mm -hmm. mediums are changing, how people go about things are changing. And, um, you know, you, you do need to, I do think it's, helpful to keep your eye on some of those things, um, you know, it, particularly as business owners and, you know, we never want to like age our customer out or anything. So you guys are on TikTok, Huckberry's on TikTok. Is that what you're saying? Huckberry's not right now, but, but, but I am. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm on a deep rabbit hole right now. And, and my feed is full of, um, of uh, um, people who do carpentry, people who go fishing and hunting. That's and, cool. Uh, and, and auto work and it's it's there's a whole very interesting ecosystem i'm, I'm sure that's definitely all it is yeah yeah no, there's no <laughs> dancing no dancing 22 year olds right now, but. i mean i think like if reels is any indication of like what tiktok is you know it's like a yeah. mesmerizing thing that you know is is interesting but you know strange and i you know i i don't know i think it's I think I'm sort of maxed out on social media platforms and mm -hmm. I don't, I don't really enjoy even the ones I used to like anymore. Mm -hmm. So I don't think mm -hmm. I need to get into it, but it's funny. Our mutual friend Kyle Rancourt has said to me in the past, like TikTok is the most addictive thing in the, in the universe. And I was surprised to hear yeah. that from him. It, it, yeah, it certainly is. I do. I think about the changing medium thing that we talked about earlier. Right. Like just just Brett McKay from Art of Manless going from just written to podcast. Right. Mm -hmm. And like that's same message, same, 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 same tone and topics that he's talking about, but changing the medium. And, and if you're thinking about a business in the long term, like you will need to change your mediums mm -hmm. and how you communicate your messages. So, um, like, yeah, TikTok certainly isn't for us like right this second, but it, it, it might be mm -hmm. uh, over time and we need to be flexible in the mediums in which we're yeah. communicating and storytelling with our customers. I mean, I think it's smart to have an open mind with that stuff. Right. And it's like, not to, you know, that's, this is why you guys founded Huckberry and are successful and why I have a fledgling, you know, often not listen to podcasts. Right. <laughs> um, you, that's way, why man. you guys know what's up. Um, yeah. It's, you know, I think it's, do you think I, I wanted to ask you too? This isn't like a, a pointy question, and not to pick on New York, but do you think Huckberry would exist if you hadn't moved to San Francisco? 
Yeah, you, you know, um, one thing I honestly, um, I think I was asked this, I was speaking to a business school a few weeks ago, and they were saying, you know, what were some of the things that almost kind of tripped you up? And um, for me, Michael, one of them was, um, you know, in New York City, you're just, it, it feels like you're on the escalator, right? And, and particularly if you're in like the finance industry, or you're in the fashion industry, or you're in the PR industry, and there's such expectations of like, what are you going to do next? And what is the brand name if you're leaving one brand name and going mm -hmm. to the other? And I just felt like such expectations uh, when I was in New York City. When I went out to San Francisco, I was put in corporate housing. Um, it was called Crystal Towers. It was like the like most jankiest building uh, in, uh, in, in, in North Beach, San Francisco. But on my floor, they put a lot of the, the Y Combinator kids. Uh, so the Y Combinator kids were in our building. So we had the founders of Dropbox, Air Bed and Breakfast. It was called Air Bed and Breakfast at the time. And just that whole Y Combinator class. My and um, it was just a totally different culture. It was a totally different environment. Like failure was almost kind of celebrated. Um, you know, and I think looking back on it, there's some things that were, um, you know, like incredibly awesome and healthy about it and some other things, which, you know, maybe you don't want to celebrate like every failure or, or it can blend into that kind of hustle culture. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was just so refreshing being out in San Francisco. And, you know, when Rich and I kind of, you know, I made a joke of like reaching for the same beer at that great white shark party, but it was just such like a, a mind shift being in that environment where it, for the first time in my life, I, I could see paths forward that didn't involve a suit and tie that didn't involve 80 hours a week and, and a corporate office and entrepreneurship became at that moment a real path for me. And, mm -hmm. and, it, and it truly was because of San Francisco and who I was hanging around and the conversations I was overhearing in the coffee shops and how when I was going to meetings on the West Coast and meeting with incredibly successful executives, they weren't wearing a suit and tie and they were thinking differently and more abstractly. And um, so, you know, Rich may have a different answer than I do, but for me, going from New York, to, like Huckberry would not exist if, if I'd stayed in New York. Um, it, ju it just wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I, th I feel like it's from leaving New York, it's almost like you, a, a big function of New York and, and maybe it's specific to my industry, but it's, it feels like there's a lot of pressure to be around. And if you're not around, you're mm -hmm. not, you're not in the club, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not, you know, no one thinks about you and you have to like be there, like gutting it out, you know, and if you're not in New York, you know, if you're living on the West Coast, having a good life, then, you know, everyone hates you mm -hmm. and they don't think about you, which I think has changed a little bit because of COVID, actually. Yeah. I feel like this has been the biggest thing in the world for for the West Coast and for a lot of other places, just because it sort of gives people liberty to not be, you know, in New York. Um, and, you know, I agree. I think it's like New York's a little tough sometimes with, um, you know, it's 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 so focused on you know that to your point it's like the escalator like that path forward or the incremental mm -hmm. success mm -hmm. you know i think it becomes like a little you kind of lose the bigger picture sometimes with that um you know but i i don't think i would be where i am without be having lived there too yeah you know? so it's like a double-edged sword i it, when when you're you're in your you know early 20s i mean uh, certainly during our time there, there was no better place to be in the world than new york city i mean the opportunity the connections the density you mm -hmm. know just just the, the you know there's just so much action and um and over time you know you maybe need a little bit less of that and you need maybe even more focus 
but yeah, I mean, New York was such a, such a fun, special city and uh, it will be in the future as, as it comes back. Yeah, I think so too. Do you guys, do you guys feel like you, you've wanted to sort of have a low profile and sort of not be in the, like in the mix? I don't mean that in a, I, I think you guys have profile. I don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but have you felt like, Oh, like, it's not really about us. It's like more about like what we're doing. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely like the kind of guys we are. We're like t- typically heads down. Let's do something. Let's work hard and do something great. But you know, not out there pounding our chests. Um, so part of that's by design, and then I think part of it's just um, uh, it's just not a huge priority for us. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is probably the you know second or third podcast we've ever done. <laughs> Brett McKay being uh, the other one. Uh-huh. Um, so like we we just typically don't do a, a lot of these things. Um, and we've also seen there's like sort of an inverse correlation often between the, the founders that are out there on the circuit doing the PR circuit uh-huh. um, and success in the long term. Uh-huh. I, I cannot tell you how many, you know, quote unquote competitors we've seen that were high flying, you know, just the darling of, of the media and everybody. And then two years later, they're like crashed and burned and out of business. And so th- there is also just this sense of like, hey, put your head down, keep working, keep keep improving, focus on the customer. And so mm-hmm. that, that's that's really how we've chosen to, to, to spend a lot of our time. And, you know, I think at times we do get a little flack of like, you guys are a much bigger business than most people realize. And part of that's just by, you got to put yourselves out there a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, you know, over time, we'll have to find that right balance, but certainly, you know, our inclination is just to, um, you know, do great work and, and and build a great business that that's loved, uh, but also you know will be around for fifty years and is, is sustainable, right? So you, you mm-hmm. know, it's a sustainable sustainable business. You do have to make money. <laughs> you have to be profitable, and 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 so you know, for us, we're always trying to balance, um, you know, being a loved brand, uh, and and the counterbalance of that is also making money so that you can be around to continue to. Uh, to be a love brand. Yeah. I, I mean, do you look at, do you ever see like direct to consumer brands that sort of come out and, and sort of have a lot of heat and everyone's interested in, and they're kind of not solving any problem really, or they're like mm-hmm. sort of creating a problem to solve. And do you ever look at that sort of thing and think like, there's no way this is going to work or, I mean, what's your take on some of those things? Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, I think to your point, you kind of have to have an open mind. Anything, anytime something new comes on the scene, because maybe they are founded by a TikTok influencer, and that's just something I don't understand. Or, mm-hmm. um, but but yeah, I mean I mean look, like people know authenticity when they see it, um, and you know I, I think you do see a lot of brands that are basically started by you know the same agency is kind of doing every brand. It's the same copywriter. It's the same color palette, right? And um, certainly if you're in the if you're in the industry, you can kind of um, you know, sniff it out. But uh, I, I can tell you when the new brands come out that are authentic, we, we root for them. You know, we love featuring them on the site. Mm-hmm. And I think the ones where, you know, there's no substance in the product is like, they're clearly just slapping a label on it and trying to go after a millennial consumer, you know, with kind of millennial style messaging. Like in our experience, those brands don't stick around, you know, beyond a few years or beyond that first round of funding, right? Mm-hmm. And if, they do I mean, series A and they don't make it to the next round. Yeah. I mean, or they're, you know, it's like a 
a pandemic hits and some cookware brand you never thought was ever going to make it like blows yeah. up, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show that to me, like the big takeaway is when I want to, you know, I, I do root for people, but I also see a lot of stuff and I'm skeptical. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you, it just goes to show like you never know what's going to happen and how the world is going to change and how something could go from not being relevant at all or in a very competitive space to being, you know, extremely relevant, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty interesting. I mean, how do you, how do you guys like sort of fend at this point, like how do you keep the integrity of like what, what you're selling and where, you know, where you're going as it like gets bigger, you know, is it harder to sort of control like what the, I mean, from strictly a product standpoint or a brand mix standpoint, is it harder to sort of maintain the vibe you want as it gets bigger? Or it's like we have a template and this is what we follow and it it works. Um. You guys are both excited to answer that. Oh, no, no. It, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a great question. Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, and, and part of the answer is <clears throat> there's a lot of things in scaling a business that that aren't the most fun things to do. Like putting in process, putting in structure, mm-hmm. like a framework of which to operate, um, you know, training and onboarding and all those things. But that those kind of things really matter the bigger you get. And the bigger you get is, you know, it can be from a depth perspective or a width perspective and, uh, you know, from an assortment uh, side of things. And we're, we're, we're sort of, you know, growing in both of those um, uh, uh, aspects or ratios. Um, and so you have to put in the scaling framework and, 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 and you know, it's a, it's a lot of hard work on people and process and frameworks to, that will help keep the integrity of the brand, the vision, and where you want to go. Mm-hmm. So that, that that is like you know that's that's a big part of 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 you know what we're doing now as 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 leaders of the company. Um, you know we're we're not doing as as much of uh, you know the, the the more fun stuff of you know hunting down cool brands and writing mm-hmm. articles and going on adventures. Like we're we're doing more of this the scale stuff. Um, to, but that's what makes a great brand that you can do things consistently. Um, so, so, so there's that aspect and then there's, yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny thing, Michael, like, like that question and you're, you're kind of joking that like, you know, we weren't excited to answer that question. And it wasn't that we weren't excited. It was more just kind of pensive because that question is what trips up brands at our size and scale Mm -hmm. from, from continuing their path and journey, Mm -hmm. right? Like how do you maintain the integrity of the brand? How do you maintain the integrity of, of the product? And the answer is, is that it's all about process and it's all about people. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, Rich and I spend the majority of our time, you know, interviewing new candidates and making sure that candidates who come in, you know, give a shit, right? Which is one of our team values and, and are really aligned with the mission. And that's it. This isn't just a job for them. Right. And, and so um, it, it's an incredibly important question. It's one we spend, you know, a ton of time on thinking about because we know that like, well, you know, it, it's fun going to Kauai with Kelly Slater and touring Chicago with, with Jeff Tweedy and Wilco, right? Or, you know, having Matthew McConaughey on, um, you know, as, as co-CEOs, like where we need to be spending our time is making sure that we're creating the conditions in the company so that the next generation of leaders underneath us, who are the ones out there executing it, have everything they need so that the end product to the customer only gets better over time. So mm-hmm. um, it's where we spend a lot of our time. 
I mean, the people aspect of it, it's like, I, I'm sure people would be interested to hear like what, you know, giving a damn uh, is important and, you know, treating treating this as their career, right? Which I think is a is a kind of an interesting phenomenon that's happening. Like if you read the Netflix sort of operating, you know, principles, mm-hmm. it's basically like there's no vacation policy because this, mm-hmm. it's your career. It's like we trust you to take vacation when you, you know, which I don't think works everywhere, but it's interesting concept. Um, but are there other things that you think like ha- have enabled you to find people? that are great and, and made a difference in what you're doing and what do you look for? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, uh, we have like a full set of team values, right. That we kind of like run all employees through. And we used to kind of laugh and poo-poo team values when it was the two of us. Cause like when you're with the buddy, you're like, ah, team values, come on, man. We're just going to create a great company. Like, you know, don't get all corporate on me. Right. But over time you kind of do need this forcing function, right. In this kind of like North star to kind of point, people towards. And um, one of the big things for us is um, uh, just the idea of entrepreneurship. And and we kind of call the team value embrace adventure, but um, Rich and I, I, the culture that we've created and have expressed in the company, like people who are proactive, right? And identify problems, but always kind of come with a solution um, and who are just kind of natural entrepreneurs tend to do well at Huckberry. People who come from big companies that are super siloed and they have that it's not my job mentality, like tend not to do super well at Huckberry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'd say that's kind of the first big thing. And then the other thing is, um, and again, when we started out, we didn't have any of these documents, right? We kind of created them over time because we knew we knew what Huckberry was. And when it's just the two of you, you don't need to create these North Star documents. But the other one for us is, you know, our mission around adventure, we've tried to just drive that into the company so that it's just, again, it's a forcing function for people who, who are attracted to the brand and who stay for the brand. And so we do things like we have a sabbatical program where every four years you get uh, it, it, at least a month off um, and most employees stack vacation. So they'll go off to New Zealand for two years and, and the trips that come back are inspiring and people usually share their itineraries. So that kind of inspires things. That's cool. Um, two, two months, not two years. What? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Two, two months, two months. You know yeah. what? I, 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 wrong idea is to get out there. <laughs> and no, it sounds better at two years. So everyone that Huckberry gets two years off. It's so amazing that you're making this Incredible. announcement right now. Got a just little kidding. excited. Got a little excited there. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, like uh, we, we have, uh, you know, see you out there is one of our mantras. So we have see you out there Fridays in the summer. You, get, you, you basically get, you know, Fridays after lunch off. Um, so That's we cool. try to just really like, ingrain like the things that we talk about and that you're reading about it's in the company you know there are other things like we don't we really don't work with creative agencies we do all of our creative in-house or most of our creative in-house and so that's allowed us now that we have our own house brands you know like we, our top selling t-shirt is called the 72 hour tea from proof and that was created because one of our photographers was like you know, hey guys, you're always sending us out on these 72 hour adventures, you know, the, the, you know, going to New Zealand, um, you know, Mexico City, like all, all around. Why don't you guys create a tea, right? That can kind of stand up to 72 hours of wear. Mm-hmm. So that's how that kind of insight was unlocked on the product team. So I think the way that we kind of set up the process, the, um, you know, everything from the mission to the team values to our vacation policy is kind of aligned with like, the big idea of Huckberry, which is around adventure and inspiration. And that over time um, creates the conditions of, of for how we hire people and, and honestly how we fire people. And, and for people who don't work out, 
you know, they, they kind of, um, yeah. you know, they move on. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really interesting. You know, I, I, it, it sort of occurs to me that because you started with an element of being able to communicate, right. And storytelling, and that's central to what the company was built on, right. That you, you, it enables you to be able to communicate in all aspects of what you're doing, right? And that's why it's like your creative can be in-house because you you have this experience of like telling stories and mm-hmm. and creating that journey for people. Um, and I think like it makes what you're selling more meaningful because you can effectively communicate. And I, you know, if you look at a lot of you know, e-commerce sites, it's just like it gets handed off to the copy team that, Mm -hmm. you know, is Mm -hmm. churning out no connection to anything. And there's no real like central core to any of that. And then it becomes, you know, this transactional thing. And sometimes that's fine if I need, you know, dog food auto shipped to me. Mm -hmm. Perfect. You know, Um, but I think it's, I think that's like sort of a maybe overlooked aspect of how, how you guys have been able to position yourself and form connections with people that are, you know, more authentic and, and deeper than uh, other retailers, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think that's, you know, I appreciate that. Um, I guess just one more thing maybe, and it's for you, Andy. Um, yeah. You know, since Rich is in, in Austin, I think you need to drive him by Baker Mayfield's house, you know, <laughs> so he could just pay his respects, you know, for getting us into the playoffs. And uh, and I feel like you know if he doesn't do that, it's it's going to be a miss. Well, uh, I absolutely need to do that, and we can do that in his. I, I don't know if we can show you, Rich. Actually, today, literally, Michael, right before we were talking to you, uh, we were trying to take a left, and Rich had stalled out because he just brought a new uh, FJ Toyota FJ, 1985 FJ60. FJ60. I, is this your first vintage car? It's my first vintage car, and. I, I, does no it have joke, air conditioning? Man. Does it have air conditioning? You live in Texas now, Rich. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's see if we can show. There we go. So, Michael, can you see that uh, that beautiful oh. cream color? <laughs> I see it. It looks like it's very tinted out. All the wheels are all blacked out. Yeah, it's like that desert sand. It looks good. It's got the like full off-road setup. I feel like that's this is. This is great. How did you buy it? What's the story? Let's talk about this. Yeah. Well, so I went down a, um, I went down to bring a trailer rabbit hole. <laughs> Are you familiar with that site? Yeah, I am familiar. I have a, I have a failed sale on bring a trailer. That's my only experience with it. Oh, you set a reserve, huh? <laughs> yeah. I'm too much of a wimp, I think. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so started off on, uh, on just, bring a trailer, a rabbit hole, and um, just kind of became obsessed with the, with the FJs. Um, I was born in 85, so I kind of, and I, and I really like the FJ60 in particular. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, Not the 62, is that what you're saying? The, the 62 or the 40, the 40, like the, the boxier. Yeah. Um, the 62 is great, too. I did a 62, um, but just went down, went down that rabbit hole and then kind of, um, and if you haven't paid attention to bring a trailer, like, as an incredible niche community, like the the uh, the depth it got, which... it got sold to Hearst, right? I mean, mm-hmm. basically Hearst yeah. owns it now, and they made a lot of money selling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so that's where it started, and then and then I went into the uh, there's uh, Facebook forums where you can like answer some questions on FJs and get get admitted, and then there's you know people <laughs> list them to sell there, and uh, 
That's anyway, funny. It was a long process, but uh, I just got it today. So. Oh, uh, congratulations! So you could drive yeah. yourself over to Baker's house. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, for for a minute, I think because Andy, I think moved first, and then I for mm-hmm. for a second, I thought you still lived in SF. You held out, or you know. Um, but now I realize that my mistake, so I'll, I'll, I'll correct that. But, um, Hey, congratulations. I, I look forward to you and your mechanic becoming best friends. I know. <laughs> We've already been on the phone once. <laughs> hey, 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 Michael, we need to do one of these posts, you know, where it, it's just a picture of Richard and his car and we'll take it today and we'll see how it started and then how it's going. You know, and we have to follow up with the, the, how it's going photo. Love to catch it in a few months. I mean, I think it's a Toyota. I think you're going to be all right. Wait, did you say it has air conditioning? Yeah, and you know, part of, part of the ad was uh, cold, cold, and hot, hot. <laughs> That's amazing. Like a, a big differentiator for these old FJs. <laughs> and this one certainly needs a lot of work. It's, it's not uh, not where I want it to be, but um, getting a foothold in that community and that kind of yeah you know, analog world. Like I, I'm craving analog right now. Behind this computer screen all day, and like I want something that roars and that stick shift and you know? and, and you and you smell it you know and like you you start it and you smell it smells like gasoline and oh, yeah. you know i think it, i read an article today about just the future of electric cars and and sort of where you know where we're headed and you know i'll be surprised at a certain point if you could even buy a combustion car mm-hmm. you know um, which is kind of crazy to think about um and and sort of fun to experience like going back to when things were just more mechanical you know, yeah. and less of like a, you know, a, a little mini rolling computer with batteries. Yeah. Um, that's cool. I'm surprised you guys haven't started, you know, just flipping FJs on the site. You know, Todd Snyder, already yeah. he's in the game. Man, he, he did an incredible one. Holy cow. I, I think Tom Ford did a Land Rover at some point. Um, we, we, uh, we may be working on a boat. So, so stay, stay oh, nice. I, you know, I, I think, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be a Hinkley or a, sorry, one of those wooden but Chris craft. Yeah, um, yeah. But I would say, I would, I would suggest my personal favorite is the center council Boston whaler, oh. which is just like the most fun thing in the world. And I'd love to like waste all my money on that. You know, it, 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 I mean, it could be that one. We, we won't say, but. Okay. That, well, I hope mm-hmm. it is. I, you know, just give me a little advance warning. Maybe I can, you know, get in the game on that. <laughs> you know, Michael, what's been really cool for us is, um, you know, having lived in New York City and then going to San Francisco, you know, you, you kind of see like the whole, and you grew up in Cleveland, so you know what it's not, what it's like not to live on a coast. Yeah. But it's really cool coming out to Austin. And, and I just feel like it was a huge blind spot for us going from New York City to San Francisco and, you know, in Austin, it is it's a really fun, young, progressive city. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just cool to see, like, you know, all the different brands that are out here, just how the lifestyle is different, you know, going to a gun shop. And and I mean, I, I've taken so much copywriting inspiration from out here. You know, I was looking at this one, like, gun case, and it said, you know, made in America or not made at all. And, and there are just so many fun elements, you know, uh-huh. that kind of remind me of going to, like, old menswear stores, you know, from back in the day. And um it's just been really cool, you know, out here. Like Rich comes out here, finally buys the FJ. You know, it's like the catalyst to actually make him buy an FJ. You know, and it's just, uh, it's it, it's cool being in Texas. It's been a it's been a fun new change for us. 
Yeah, I, I can imagine it's in it's inspiring. And there's, you know, there's just a lot there. And it seems like, you know, it's a little bit of a less of a crazy life um, in Texas mm-hmm. and in Austin, especially. And, you know, you'll get to go to Formula One now, which so you have that going for you. Um, you know, the barbecue <laughs> experience you got that going, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's River cool. River culture, too. Yeah. What's that? River culture. Like yeah, ri- lakes, lakes and rivers. So it's more like canoeing, kayaking, and that kind of thing, as opposed to, uh, you know, surfing and, and you know, being on a boat. Did you guys do stuff like that in San Francisco? I mean, were you like going to, like going to the beach or like going sailing or doing things like that? Just like taking advantage of coastal life. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. So I, I I lived in Marin, so I lived in the north. So I was mountain biking you know, or road biking, you know, mm-hmm. kind of three or four, three or four days a week. I, w- I would ride in 20 miles each way to the office. We had a shower at the office. So I was doing that. So, wow. um, yeah. And obviously California, you know, it has monopoly on coastline and, and just, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, surf in the morning and ski in the afternoon is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, not experienced by us. We've, we've had plenty of friends do it. And, um, you know, out, out here, you kind of adapt in Austin, but, uh, still like super outdoorsy out here and, you know, great trail system. And, um, and, and again, I think it's probably one of those, like how it started, how it's going, like come talk to us in August when it's 130 degrees out here and I'm literally melting like a popsicle. Um, Rich is, Rich is going to be calling you at, on his breakdown. He's like on, <laughs> yeah. on the interstate, you know, need you to come. You pick him up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I, I, um, I would take my, so I have this like 2002 BMW, this old BMW, and I would drive it. And, you know, the only time I would drive it would be like to the mechanic or from the <laughs> And my wife would always laugh because I'd be like, I got stranded like four times. And and uh, it's just like yesterday, I was like, I'm going to move it out of the driveway so my daughter could ride her bike and it wouldn't start. And I'm like, of course, it won't start. Figures. Yeah. At least yeah. it's in the driveway, you know. Um, what happened with your, what's your bike situation like, Andy? I know you had some bike trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So, so our last, uh, and, and I still want to, you know, Rich may have kept them for himself, but uh, on my last <laughs> night in San Francisco, I, I, you know, mountain biking, road biking was kind of my thing in California. So I dropped off three bikes at his place and, um, and it was his last night in San Francisco, the moving trucks, you know, were, uh, I, I guess coming the next morning, first thing. And, uh, and he calls me at 6am and he's like, Hey man, I just got a call from my neighbor. My neighbor said, your stuff is all over the street. You know, either you got in a fight with your wife or you just got robbed. And, uh, and he was like, you know, unfortunately I'm guessing all the bikes are gone. So yeah, definitely a bike list here in Austin, uh, unfortunately. So, you know, thinking about kind of replacing the quiver. Are you going to get back in the game? What are you thinking? Yeah. You, you know, the all by your, well, okay. Your well, new, your new that, that's, kind of, that's kind of, embar- <laughs> that's kind of embarrassing, but, um, yeah, I ended up getting a, uh, so I got an e-bike. So we have a kid on the way doing June and I got it. It's called a turn, uh, bicycle. It's like a cargo bike and it can literally fit three people. So nice. more than a Lamborghini. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is literally the, the nerd. <laughs> that, and that's kind of my joke because it is the nerdiest bike. I mean, people literally laugh at me. Really? Street, oh my gosh! On the street while I ride it, and and not Lisa, which is is rich, but it is. Uh, <laughs> it, it, Michael, you need to look into it. It, it is the ultimate rad dad bike. Um, oh God, I love it. You know, yeah. uh, 
I'm uh, I'm trying to div- divest my my you know five bike situation. I'm trying to get out of it, um, uh, and just and just I'm trying to have one bike. That's why I bought I, yeah, yeah. I yeah. bought a new all road uh, Allied all road this summer, and I'm just riding that. And I ride it on the fire roads and uh, you know road road bike it. And you know I just want to have one. I can't deal with like five things. We're we're doing a uh, collab with Allied and doing a 72 hours in Benville. With oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I heard, I've heard that Bentonville is really interesting and people are like, it's, it's a fun little town. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We have heard phenomenal things. And then from like a, uh, like a, a biking standpoint, I think they're adding more trails each week than anywhere in the world. Wow. It has become like a total biking Mecca for gravel, uh, mountain biking, and obviously road. So super excited to get out there. And, 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 you know, I think those are some of the stories that we're excited to tell. You know, like uh, I, I think a lot of brands, you know, you, you've seen the LA stories, you've seen the SF, you've seen the New York, but like, let's talk about Benville. Let's talk about Cleveland. Let's talk about Minneapolis, right? Yeah. Let's talk about a lot of these other, these other cities. And, and uh, that's why we're excited to get out there. Just kind of. That's cool. Light on that. It's, you know, Allied's a cool company. I, I like that you guys are interested in, you know, things that are still made here. And, yeah. you know, it, I feel like it's, it should get special treatment. Right. And I don't think like a lot of a lot of companies or a lot of people sort of give it that that unique treatment that it probably deserves because it's not easy, you know. Mm-hmm. So, it's, oh, yeah, it's cool that you guys do it and you profile it. It's like when you like talk about the Rancord factory or, mm-hmm. you know, any of these any of these brands that are still making stuff here. I think it's you know, that means a lot for them, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. And, and Michael, you know, the funny thing is like, <clears throat> you know, we, we talked about storytelling you can't tell a story if, if there's no story to tell, if there's no quality, right? If it's like made overseas and, and the real answer is you just kind of ship it overseas, you know, because you were seeking margin or something and it's a shitty product, like there's no story there. So that's why I think like in the long run, like, and I, and I think especially with COVID and I know you've hit on this a lot, we're like, you know, you're just rethinking what's in your closet, what's in your garage and kind of this less but better mentality. Mm-hmm. I think in the long run, it's great for storytelling. Right. Because because those are the stories that are going to be told. And because of those are the stories that are going to be told, those are the products that are going to get made. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, you know, I think that's the that's the hopeful, you know, that's the hopeful takeaway with what's happened is that, you know, I think we will be interested in mm-hmm. uh, or the world will sort of renew. You know, I think if it could get through like the last four years and get through COVID, then, you know, hopefully people will start to understand that it's, you know, it makes a difference and it's real and it's interesting. So mm-hmm. um, do you guys have any other thoughts, anything you want to complain to me about or, or personally, you know, Dude, this, this is so fun. Uh, this is so fun, man. This is such a, such a pleasure. Yeah. It was great. Michael. It, it was, it was good to talk to you guys. I appreciate it. And, you know, I have to say a lot of respect for what you guys have done and just like your attitude towards everything. And uh, I wish you the best with Huckberry going forward. And I know you guys are going to keep crushing it. Oh, thanks, Michael. Appreciate thanks, it. Buddy. Thanks for having us. And I appreciate the kind of words. Go Browns. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see each other at the Super Bowl, Rich. Me and yeah. you, buddy. Ah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs>